Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. All right. Welcome to the run through with Vogue. I'm Chloe Mal. How do you get to there so quickly? <laughs> the fuck? I'm still in headlines. Where is this part? <laughs> it's in Slack. Oh, my God. I, I had I pulled it up already. I just cannot keep up with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. She's in. Yay. Welcome to the run through with Vogue. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Cho Minardi. Chloe, should we jump right into headlines? Let's do it. What is everyone talking about this week? I think everybody this week is talking about Pierre Moss. You know, the brand that Kirby Jean Raymond is the creative director of, his brand. It's a 10-year-old fashion brand. 10-year-old fashion brand. And The Cut recently did a story that wasn't particularly flattering. This was like a big feature in there. They The Cut does like... A, a semi-annual fashion, like fashion issue. For... A big fashion issue. There was this story about really what's going on with Pierre Moss. Like everybody's been asking. His shows have been the talk of fashion week. He showed in weeks fill historic black neighborhood. He's um, a black designer. He's a black designer and very much focused on kind of celebrating African-American culture. Okay. His couture show, which was two summers ago, was a celebration of black inventors. So you had all of the looks were in homage to an invention that came from a black creator, whether it was the fire escape or lampshades or there were all these inventions, a traffic stop, um, all of these inventions. This was the couture show? Was a traffic stop? Well, (laughs) it was quite literal and I think a lot of people... Because I remember pictures. I didn't go to the show, but I remember pictures of the show and it was truly looked like, I'm sorry to say... Someone went to Spirit Halloween to get a traffic light costume. Right. Like it was a full... It wasn't his greatest moment. Okay. A lot of people were very excited about it. It did bring... The thing about his shows is that you really feel a sense of community, I think. When I think of his most moving show, he showed at King's Theatre and there was a, to a crowd of 3,000 people, mostly mostly black people. And young people? Young like people. Students or... Yeah, it, it was like friends of friends. He's very much about, it's like for us, by us. Like that's his, everything was in celebration of black culture. And it was a really moving show to be at. And and there was a 90 member choir and various performances. And I just felt like it was a feeling I'd never felt at hmm. Fashion Week. I'd never been to a show of that kind. And I often left his shows feeling like that and that he was, really visionary in the way that he put on his shows. They were just huge spectacles. Did you go to the one in Irvington, the couture one? I did. So why is everyone talking about the starter? Because I read it and I was sort of like, "Mm, this seems like a takedown piece with no real necessarily reason for it. I don't know. I mean, I think people are talking about it for several reasons. I do think Kirby was brilliant, but there were a lot of pull up the hood and you could see that there were a lot of issues with his with the inner workings of his brand, the production, the way he perhaps treated the people who worked with him. Um, Not a story that we haven't seen in fashion before, not a story that 
we know isn't still happening in the industry where a young independent designer really struggling to make it and cuts corners, cutting corners, perhaps not having the best business advice, maybe not spending funds correctly and just kind of leading as a creative and perhaps not as someone who is a business mind. Right. So it wasn't an unfamiliar story to me. I think a lot of people inside the industry knew. A lot of people I've spoken to were like, this was nothing new to me. I knew this was happening. Because the real news was like, you go on his website and there's nothing Nothing. to buy. There's nothing to buy. That's crazy. There was kind of like an emperor's new clothes aspect of the business that I think was really disappointing for the people who followed the brand, but mostly for the people who were working with him. Right. Why is the internet so upset about this? Because I feel like I've had friends, like a friend of mine who's an academic just was like, have you read this? Like, have you seen the comments? And I'm like, why are people outside of fashion engaged in this? I mean, because there's also a racial element that for sure, came into for sure. Play. Talking with other friends and people outside of fashion, people inside of fashion, you know, I felt that you so rarely see success stories of, you know, in fashion around black creatives, right? You mm-hmm. know, and there was an aspect of it that felt like we're tearing down this this black man. And I think it's hard to see that right. and hard to digest that given that these stories are not uncommon in fashion. Like, why him, why now, right? right? And then I think the other thing is that black creatives, black people are held to a higher standard. Mm. And he was held to a particularly high standard as someone who built his brand celebration of black culture on right. this very like message of social justice and... Really, I think it was quite sad and hard for a lot of people to read this. I think people are probably thinking, is there no room for redemption? Like, it's tough. It's tough. Um, Do you know Kirby well? You know, I know I know him relatively well. You know, I remember meeting him. I remember being very impressed with him. You know, When did you meet him? It must have been like shortly before he was one of the finalists for the C- the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. I, yeah. I suggested that he apply and or encouraged him to apply. And was and that 2016 that he won, right? He won 2016. I've always found him to be incredibly smart, extremely, you know, a big thinker. And perhaps his like desire to think big, he outpaced himself with that, right? Because he... Right. You know, sometimes your vision can be grand, but your means are small. And I think we're in a culture of fake it till you make it. Like, I think a lot of people don't know that it takes like for most fashion businesses, it takes them 10 years to turn a profit. Right. I think fashion is, you know, we're looking for the next star. We want the next star. And he ticked so many boxes, you know, for a lot of people. And I think, um, you know, we're having this conversation about inclusivity and diversity in fashion and making space for new voices and people who have who are kind of beating a path for the first time, you yeah. know. So there was no rule book for him, right? So perhaps in a way, he really wasn't set up for success in this industry, right? You know, and maybe we need to interrogate that a bit more when we tell those stories. Yeah, I thought Tahira Heston did a good job of writing it for the cut for New York Magazine. It's not a feel good story. No, potentially a feel good story. Yes, Gucci has a new designer. Yes. Who is he? I've never heard of him before. Sabato DeSarno. Sabato DeSarno. I think people were a bit surprised because it was kind of like an event but a non-event. But this was is there a- someone people were anticipating would take no, over? No, I just think we're sort of used to a flashy name. Yeah. And I think Alessandro became someone who yeah, was Yeah, he a wasn't, name. right? No, he was. He worked in the back. You know, he yeah. 
He worked in the background. He was a behind-the-scenes person who at was... At Gucci. At Gucci. And that was kind of, you know, it's kind of in keeping with the way that, that you know, decisions have been made at Gucci in the past. And I think a lot of people in Milan, they spoke to my colleague Francesca Ragazzi, who's the editor-in-chief of mm-hmm. um, Vogue Italia. And she was... She said that people were excited. Like he's a because wh- why is he now? He's kind of he's he's at Valentino. He's um, Pierpaolo's right hand, and he's been there for a long time. He's been there for a long time. He's very well liked, you know. But he's a he's a bit of an industry vet. He worked at Prada. He worked at Dolce. He's an Italian, which I think is okay. imp- important to because Gucci is still based in Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that you know, I I I'm interested to see. Where he'll take it. But he can't show in February. That would be too soon. No, he's showing it September. So will there be no show in February? No, there'll be a show, but it will be the the house. Alessandro's Minions. Yeah, I mean, they showed a menswear collection just just earlier this year. So Interesting. Yeah. All right. Speaking of cleaning house, uh, the Momosphere is outraged at Marie Kondo because she poor thing, confessed that now that she's a mother of three children, she no longer has time to tidy up. Which I'm sure looks a little different, her version of not tidying, than... God, doesn't she have help? And isn't someone else tidying up, is my question. Those are great questions. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, I don't think this is like a, what do they call it on TikTok, a depression room or a doom... A doom pile? She's probably, like, micromanaging the hell out of, like, the housekeeper. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, is she There really? might be, like, a couple of Legos loose. But that's okay. Um, but, yeah, I was... There was sort of a backlash from moms and then a backlash to the backlash, as there <laughs> often is. It became an, an extremely online situation. And I personally... It sparked joy when I read that headline because I thought, you know what? I feel vindicated. And all moms out there can just feel vindicated that, you know what? Things are going to be messy. Yeah, And that's just okay. Yeah, and honestly, coming on the heels of of Julia Fox's TikTok home tour, um, I feel... It's a vibe shift. It's a vibe shift. (laughs) I I personally love that, you know, that she was that kind of candid about what it's really like to A, live in New York and B, be a mother in New York, a single mother in New York. Well, yeah, that tour was, it was intense. It yeah. was, there were some mice involved. It was, <laughs> it, was it was not glamorous. It was, no, it was not glamorous. Yeah. The internet is also in a, in a tizzy because, because Beyonce, again, two weeks running. Yeah, has two weeks running, we're talking about Beyonce. What, what did she do now? At her epic Dubai show, mm-hmm. people noted that she did not play any songs from her new album, Re- Renaissance. Okay. The writing was on the wall. Fast forward to this morning and she she announced the world tour, all the dates for Renaissance because she hadn't confirmed that she would be doing one. It starts in May and ends in September. And I tell you, when I tell you that the office was like all a Twitter, one of the one of one of our right one of our fashion news writers, Christian Allaire, was already debating whether he should A go to his his sister's wedding or go to be the Beyonce. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like Yes, there was a lot of chatter about it, but I think he's going to potentially go and see it in Toronto because there are only two dates in New York, oh, if you haven't already heard. I have not heard. Yeah. Are you going to try and go? Or you feel been there, done that? Well, I mean, having been in the crowd of, uh, you know, only 1,500 invite only in concert, I sort of feel like maybe I can sit this one out. But never turning down. Never been turning down the opportunity. I've been twice now. 
outside of that time in Dubai to see her. And so you've seen Beyonce three times? I've, yeah, three All times. All right, sit back. Let someone else have this. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Gonna let everyone else have their moment. <sighs> the run-through will be back in just a minute. Don't go away. Hi everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you. Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. Well, I'm personally very excited for our next conversation. I know. I, I actually learned a lot from, I mean, not actually. I expected to learn a lot, but this is a very um, under-the-hood excavation. Right? I really felt that way, too. Well, our next guest is Kate Young. She's a celebrity stylist. I mean, her client list is about as starry as it gets. Margot Robbie, Dakota Johnson, Selena Gomez, Jennifer Lawrence, Michelle Williams, Rachel Weisz, Sophie Turner, Sienna Miller. My God, it just goes on. It goes on. I mean, you've definitely seen her work. You've definitely seen her work. Kate is, Kate is also an old friend. She actually used to work at Vogue. She did, and that was one of my favorite parts of the conversation was hearing about her shenanigans at Vogue 20 years ago. Because <laughs> it's, it's interesting to hear how things have evolved at the magazine and, and what different jobs used to look like and entailed. Yeah, no, I think it was a, it was a real education. It was a reminder of just how how much things have changed. I know, you know? I know. So we're back with a run through with Kate Young. All right, Kate, welcome. We're very excited to see you, and we <laughs> want to hear about Couture Week because oh, you were there, right? I was there. Well, I I mean, I had much less fashion-y experience than I usually do because I took my teenage son. Oh, that's Cute. fun. <laughs> yeah. He, he, Why? <laughs> because, um, so he goes to a public school in Manhattan, and mm. it was Regents Week, and freshmen don't take Regents. And he came home and was like, I don't have school next week. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> I'm not that dumb. And he didn't, in fact, have school, so I took him to Paris. Wow. Did he have the time of his life? Yes. Did he, he go to any shows? He went to Chanel. He was dazzled. Was he dazzled by Apple Martin? I was going to say. We went to the, we go to the early show. Oh. Oh, right. Okay. So he didn't see her. Less starry. She was at the dinner. He went to the dinner the night before, but like. He went to the dinner. Yeah. Cute. Oh my God. (laughs) How old is he? 14. Aw. Yeah. What's his name? Stellan. 
He had a really good time. The The couture show, like the fact that, you know, most of the audience is made up of couture buyers. Yeah. And they could basically come in costume was dazzling to him. Right. You know, I what mean, does he like, think of the world that you work in? Like, what does he think of fashion? I mean, he likes it sort mm. of. He's, he's not very fashiony. His brother is. Um the the thing that's interesting is that my kids have kind of always been around a lot of celebrities and in the office when I'm doing fittings and stuff. But they went to Waldorf school, so they never watched TV, and they didn't realize that these were famous people. They thought they were people I worked with. And it wasn't until, like, the James Bond two movies ago came out, and there were, like, James Bond ad posters on the subway everywhere. And they kept saying to me, like, wait— Daniel is James Bond. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and then they started asking us about all our friends. Like, oh, is Victor famous? And I'm like, in Victor a certain mode. Victor Glamode, <laughs> and, and a very important designer, but maybe yes. not a James Bond subway yeah. yes. poster. <laughs> yeah. And then they got really like, who else that we know is famous? And I'm like, oh god. Do you style Daniel Craig also, or just Rachel? No, Weiss? Rachel. Okay. Yeah. Um and. Tell us, will you just give us a little background on who you are and what you do? I'm Kate Young. I'm a stylist. I um, I mainly dress celebrities now. Uh, this time of year, it's all award show centered, but usually it's premieres and press. And How long does award season last? Well, I mean, I think technically it starts in like the end of November. It starts with the Gotham Awards. Mm-hmm. And then the Governor's Awards come. Um, and then really, I mean, that's a technical start, but really Golden Globes in January. And then it ends at Oscars. So you are you have like a three-month crunch time. Yeah, because I think that like the general public thinks of like Golden Globes and Oscars. But there's also like, oh, God, there's so many. There's like NBR, mm. SAG, Critics. What's NBR? National Board of Review. Okay. Director's Guild. Yeah. Uh, Critics' Choice. Um, then there's usually, like, there's Palm Springs Film Festival. Palm Springs there's, Film Festival, which I almost forgot about this year. Yeah, there's, like, a Santa Barbara Film Festival yeah. in there. Like, there's just a number of BAFTA. Okay. You know, there's a number of them. And who are you dressing this year that are doing the award circuit, like, who that are people who are nominated? Well, Oscars is just Michelle Williams. Okay. But Golden Globes, I had Selena Gomez and, and Margot Robbie, too. Okay. And what's a typical award season day? Like, let's say, walk us through the Golden Globes day of. Well, the day of, I mean, I'm very planned about these things. And Golden Globes is the most stressful in a lot of ways because the um, the atelier is closed for Christmas. Mm. So you can't, you kind of have to do the fittings before Christmas. Right. So you do them early, but then you don't actually see the dress. And most people come in from their holidays the night before the Globes. So I do tend to do these last-minute fittings, maybe the first time we're seeing the jewelry, the first time. Um, but the actual day is pretty calm. Like okay. all the looks are set. I have a timeline of who I'm going to first, where I'm going to be at what time. usually go hiking with a couple friends in the morning. That's nice. Do you watch it on TV as it's happening? Or yeah, so Globes... Um, Globes doesn't have after parties. Right. So it means all the stylists and hair and makeup and PR people are done because we oh, don't right. have to change them. So we have a party every year and watch it. Oh, that's so fun. Who's at the party? Um, 
Ryan Hastings, some PR people. That's so cute. So it's like a mix of stylists. Yeah, yeah. It's usually a few. So it used to be hosted. This French PR duo used to host it. And it's kind of fallen apart because they stopped coming. Okay. So this year I actually hosted it. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) What did you you wear? (laughs) Well, okay. So when we used to host it, original days was pre-Instagram. So we used to all wear backup dresses. Oh, that is hilarious. I wore Givenchy Couture one year. I have pictures of me like eating a cheeseburger wearing Givenchy Couture. But you can't do that with Instagram. No, I guess not. Such a shame. Instagram like then nobody could it. take a picture. Um, so you just, everybody's just wearing what they were wearing before. What did you like from Couture that you thought what collections were you keeping your eye on? What did you see from Couture that you thought, oh, or how does a process work? Those dresses, Couture is tricky as a stylist because basically they sell those clothes and the women who buy them can block them. Like if a piece is sold, they won't give it to celebrities. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And you can block it worldwide or you can block it for North America. So it's part of the price tag. Coutures are like NFTs. Like you ah. own the intellectual property. Like if you buy a couture dress, you can reproduce it. Like that's the way Dior used to come to America. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, like the way Dior and Chanel were sold in America in like the 50s is that the buyers would go to Couture, buy the dresses, bring them back, and then copy them. And they had the right to even, they put labels in them. Like, you'll find funny, mm. like, Chanel, Bonwit Teller labels mm. or wow. Dior USA. And it, it's made in the USA, but it's a Dior design. So, you know, I always laugh at these, like, Instagram accounts that suggest what your client should wear based on Couture. And I'm like, sold, 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 sold. <laughs> like, the reason... <laughs> All the best dresses from Couture never see the light of day is because somebody bought them. Mm. And that's that. And that's obviously not the case with ready-to-wear. No. Ready-to-wear, you know, they sell a hundred of everything. A lot of your clients are so A-list. Are they mostly doing custom pieces? Well, I don't really like straight-up custom. I always like the clothes to look like the runway. So it's just so you – okay, so so tell us why the process – Why? Because I don't like it when red carpet exists outside of fashion. Hmm, Like, I think my job is to kind of, like, take the girl who's sort of, like, in the ether of the moment and take the fashion that's, like, in the ether of the moment and make something that visually speaks to people, like, in that way where, like... You know, like, if you remember, if I name a best actress, you can remember, oh, I was in college that year and I watched it in my dorm. And mm. it's the dress and the woman. Right. It's the fact that you saw them. Like, I really like what I'm doing when I think about it in terms of pop culture right. and the way we digest pop culture. Um, so, like, if if I make, like, a, a weird dress that doesn't relate to the collection, what what does that kind of have to do with mm-hmm. now? Got like, it. I want it to have either a silhouette or an embroidery or a color or a concept from the show and sort of, like, translate that into, you know, most designers don't show evening gowns. It's too commercial and boring. But, like, make an evening gown that relates in some way to that. Right. So, I, I guess, walk us through the the process behind Michelle Williams' dress. She wore Gucci, right, for the Golden Globes. Okay, so Gucci, the way Gucci works is is some designers do this, some European designers do this, but, like, maybe in November I got a box of their custom designs. So, like, I got a box of 20 sketches that comes with embroideries and it comes with cool with fabric. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And I just, like, go through and say, okay, make... Uh, 
this dress. And I showed her the sketch. The box actually came while we were on a photo shoot. So, like, we found the dress then. And then um, I generally like to have pictures sent of the toile, like videos and pictures from the studio, because often it's really easy to misread the sketches, hmm. especially because every house has their own gesture. So, like, what I perceive... What does a gesture mean? Like, in the drawing, a slash can mean, like, leather or it can mean a fold in the garment oh wow you know so like sometimes I'm like show me on a mannequin the state of it right now Hmm. and it'll be a piece together thing and I'm like oh wait 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 that wasn't a shadow that was like right beating okay can we you know like I I need to be a little bit of part of the process so that I can manage the expectation so that the dress actually looks like the way we perceived the sketch how did you decide to wear Gucci with Michelle I just like that dress. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a contract, so she could wear whatever she wanted. And Alessandro was still the designer at the right. time. I just thought that was a really exciting dress. I think that, like, with Michelle, um, often she's happiest when there's a little more fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, like, where some women look really good and it's something minimal where it's just, like, about them. Mm-hmm. I think she feels quite comfortable when it's, like... A lot of dress. Interesting. She carries it. She's very, I think she always, I always love what she wears. I mean, how long does it take to sort of gain the trust? I mean, you've been working with Michelle for how long? 17 years. Oh my God. Wow. How collaborative is it? Or does she trust you to the point where you're sort of picking her wardrobe and, So some, it's different with, with every client because it sort of depends how much they're interested. Like Mm. some people just want me to do stuff and they'll say yes or no when they try it on, but they don't, they're busy or they don't really care about clothes. Michelle likes clothes a lot. And um, at this point, I mean, we talk all the time anyway. This is such, so many years at this point. Um, And we, I, I mean, I probably texted her 12 times today. Like, will she ever come to you with, I was just looking at the Chanel Couture show. What about this? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, I have a few clients who do look at shows and are like, whoa, I love this. But interesting. mm -hmm. Does that make it easier or harder? It makes it harder a lot of the time because they're like, I want this Valentino dress and I'm like, sold. Right. (laughs) You know? Or, you know, houses are loyal to their faces. So, like, you know, if a face of if Zendaya is going to something, she's the face of Valentino. She gets first pick, not sure. us. So there's not much I can do about it. Right. I mean, how would you say, obviously having done both, how does a world of editorial and celebrity styling, like what what aspects of your personality do you have to lean into for celebrity versus editorial? Because it does seem like it's more of a conversation. It's a gaining people's trust you have to be you have to be good with people I imagine yeah I think there are a couple things like I was never a super successful editorial stylist like I'm an okay editorial stylist I'm not a genius like I work really well when like boxed in Interesting. Um, I, I really like like problem solving and I also I have a hard time with models Like, I love models. I think they're so beautiful. But the fact that they just stand there, I'm like, but who are you? (laughs) Um, Where I I like, you know, when I'm working with an actress, it's like I know who they are. I knew who they want to be. Their body is 
is not a model body. Having said that, like models don't have model bodies. When you style shows, some have a high hip, some have a wide shoulder. Like every body is different. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working in like a constraint of like, you know, this is her height. This is, she has no waist. She has like a, doesn't want to show her arms. Like I like all the limitations and then kind of creating a character that's them rather than just like, dreaming something up and imposing my will on mm. a model. Mm. Um, I think I like people a lot too. And like, this makes no sense, but I was such a fashion obsessed teenager mm. that like when I first started in editorial, I'd get so shy and starstruck around the photographers and the hair and makeup people. Like I was dazzled where like, I didn't care that much about movies and mm. like the celebrities. I don't, I don't get starstruck around, them. <laughs> which is probably useful. It's just like, eh, like oh, here's my job, you know. Like I, I respect them and I admire their work, but like I get really nervous if you were to introduce me to like, I don't know. Like now, a lot of the the icons are not here anymore. But like I used to work with Stephen Meisel at Vogue all the time, and I'd mm. just be like, oh my. <laughs> because how did you start in the fashion world? I know that as legend tells, as assistant. you were the real Emily <laughs> from The Devil Wears Prada. No, no, no. No. Oh, really? That's Leslie Freemore. Are you sure? Leslie, yeah, I'm positive. <laughs> I was, the I was straight, Tawny's assistant. So, so the girl who wrote that book actually replaced me. And I worked, Lauren Weisberger replaced yeah, you. And I worked in the fashion market department. So I left and Lauren replaced me. And then um, Melissa was the first. under. I was under Melissa, but Melissa and left. And just for people who don't know, with Anna's assistants, there's the more veteran assistant is called the first assistant, and the newer assistant is called the second assistant. Well, now there are like four or something. No, right? in, the, no, no. in the day there you. Oh, when I started three. ten years ago, there were three, and now there's two. Yeah. But so there was okay, the first so assistant. I was and the never this first assistant. Oh. I was like the dry cleaning coffee girl, <laughs> and um, I, I, I didn't really want to be the first. The first had to do like booking travel and so it was like really intense um <laughs> and I wanted a market a position open so I went right I worked at the fashion market department so I was the European market assistant which meant that my job was to call in all the clothes for all the editors from all European markets so for example if Grace Coddington was doing a shoot and she wanted an etro dress you would call yeah. I did uh so it, American Vogue's kind of funny because there's a French office, so all French requests go through the French office, but I did all the Italian requests, and then some of the French and Italian designers have New York offices so that I would handle that. And then I moved up to be like the swimwear, activewear, and fur <laughs> editor. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, all the inside workings. But you were a very nerdy teenager, weren't you? I remember recently okay, ladies, you told where'd me. you go to college? <laughs> I came to Vogue and I was like, oh, my God, there's a bunch of models who work here. And then I was like, where would you go to college? And they were like, Brown, Columbia, Princeton, Yale. <laughs> that one's a princess. <laughs> and I was like, this place is amazing. Because <laughs> I, I feel confident you have pretty serious educations under your belt. <laughs> I, I did go to Brown. <laughs> 
mean, but didn't you? You were telling me that you came from a family of academics, didn't you? Or? Yeah, yeah. So you, 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 you were very bright as a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked to read. Yeah, I still do. <laughs> I thought I was going to be Dorothy Parker. That's why I yes. wanted to work at Vogue. Yeah. I thought I was like Dorothy Parker was the goal. But then when I was at did she work at Vogue? Yeah. Brevity is the did. soul of lingerie. <laughs> um, she so uh, w- when I came to work at Vogue, Anna said to me in the interview, "This is a tedious job, but if you're good at it, I'll make it worth your while." So then, how did you transition to celeb styling? Well, I went to work for Tawny from Market. Okay, and when I was working for Tawny, um, what it, what would you do for Tawny? Like just fill people in on I what that looked like. I produced the shoots. Okay, so the, Tawny I, Goodman is a legendary, iconic. She was Vogue the fashion stylist. director. Yeah. And Vogue didn't use producers on the shoots. The assistant produced the shoot. So mm. I, when you're a sty- when you were a stylist assistant, you didn't manage the clothes. You actually booked the location, booked the caterer, mm. got the permits, talked to the photographer, did the budget. So I was doing that. But Tani really encouraged me to shoot. And I was shooting all the front of book for Vogue. So, like, if there was an article Meaning about it. Meaning styling it, not photographing Yeah, I was styling all the front of book for Vogue. I was doing, like, you know, the therapist who was chic and the architect who designed the DNA office. Who oh, used we know to be those a stories. Helmut Newton mm. model. And, <laughs> yeah, so I was doing all of those. Is it that hard to find an attractive parachuter? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, her Brits and I really got along. And um, wow. nobody wanted, there was this like this was my big breakthrough is that um we were shooting Deborah Messing with her Brits and it was like on a holiday and <laughs> all the fashion editors were like no no I have a vacation booked I have my kids uh-uh and Anna called Herb and was like we can't do the shoot there's no editor and he was like have Kate do it and according to Herb she was like who's Kate and he was like your former assistant and so I obviously was thrilled to work on a holiday and flew to LA and got this like big break by styling this Vogue like multiple page sitting wow and how then, was it like what was it like working with Herb Herb and I got along so well I loved him so much it was the most civilized. He only shot in the afternoon. You would get there and have oh. lunch with, like, white tablecloths no. on the beach. And then the hair and makeup would be done, and you'd sit around, and he'd be like, mm, maybe 15 minutes. And then you would shoot in this very small window on the beach for, and like, an done. hour and a half. It was done. Wow. And he had the cutest boys who worked for them with him. Like, the boys were beyond, and <laughs> they were also warm and fun and, like— So then Teen Vogue was starting, and I kind of left Tani and Vogue full-time to freelance at both because I was the—I don't know what my title was, but I I was like one—I styled the first Teen Vogue cover. Who was it? Gwen Stefani. Ah. So tell me what happens after Teen Vogue. So um, let me think. So the way I started doing celebrity styling was actually because I was styling this page in Vogue called People Are Talking About every month, mm-hmm. which was the young actress page. Does it still exist? No. 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 So it was like whoever was sort of hot and exciting and Enough. young and cool. Famously discovered Keira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan. Everybody. Yeah. And so Didn't I, you used to edit those pages, Chloe? Uh, I did Flash, which was the adjacent oh, flash, section. Flash, but Valerie Steiger was very proud of all the people she had <laughs> discovered in Pata. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was so but also because um Vogue was quite excessive at that time. I mean mm. like we would often shoot three girls 
a month for that page. And then Mm -hmm. cut to? Yeah. And because of that, I got to know all the publicists. I knew Mm. tons of celebrities. And people didn't really have stylists so much. So they'd be like, oh, I love this dress. Can I borrow it? Because this is 20 years ago? 15? Yeah. Okay. No, 20 plus. Okay. Um, Can I borrow this dress to wear on my premiere? And because I had been in market, I knew all the PR people. So I'd just call them and be like, hey, I'm with so-and-so on set. She's in this movie. Can she borrow this dress I have on the shoot? And they'd... Oh, my God, what a funny beginning. Yeah, and then it started picking up a little bit where, like, the publicist would call me and say, like, actually, she has three events. Would you style her for it? And I would just do it. Who was your first client? Like, who was the first person who did that for you? Jennifer Connelly. Oh, interesting. Like, the first serious client. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you still work with her? No, I haven't worked with her in years and years. But, like, she and Nicola are so close. Mm-hmm. And they met because of me, mm. which was, like, uh, I Nicola was... Nicola Gascare. Yeah. So his boyfriend at the time was a makeup artist who I was really close with. Mm. So I used to hang out with him all the time. And then, you When know, he was at Balenciaga. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. So then it just sort of snowballed from there? Yeah. I mean, I went... I left Vogue. I went to um, interview and ID. But I was doing, like... A couple of celebrities. I had, like, Jennifer Connelly, Selma Hayek, um, Natalie Portman, Hilary Swank. I had, like, a few. But it just wasn't the way it is now. Like, when I fit a press tour now, we might do 40 looks. That's it would be, crazy. like, four looks, you right. know? Wow. <laughs> you 40 know? looks. Well, yeah, they get photographed everywhere now. Mm. So, like, if you're packaging someone and you want to create this illusion, they can't be wearing their, like bad jeans. Who's paying for that 40 look package? Is the studio the paying for studio it? The studio out of the marketing budget. Wow, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. But we don't buy any clothes. I get really twisted about all these people saying mm. y- your celebrity should rewear dresses. Barring, it, you're barring them. It's not well, like you're Yeah, that's uh, the rewearing of dresses yeah. is absurd because all the dresses are borrowed. In fact, they're usually the clothes that were actually on the runway mm. and the actual clothes that were photographed for Vogue magazine. So and it's actually the runway samples that celebs yeah. are getting? And then, you know, like 17 influencers wear it afterwards. So, like, when you see a celebrity rewearing a dress, the likelihood that it's the same dress is so low. Oh, that's it's funny. been remade. To look like that dress. No. Yeah, because it's been worn by 45 people. Oh, that is such a devastating greenwashing moment. Yeah. And like, really, how is it saving anything when you've world netted a dress around the world 25 times? World net is like the DHL for fashion mail. (laughs) I feel like no one knows what world net is unless you feel like the whole rewear on the runway, on on the red carpet thing is a bit of a ruse. I do, because I just think like, we are not buying these clothes. Right. Like if if you if people understood how it worked, everything is returned. Nothing is kept. Nothing is like purchased and thrown in the trash. It's returned and it's used it's sold in a sample sale. It's put in a museum. It's you know, there are a number of things that happen to it. But like in order to get those things back, it's not like we're just taking them out of the closet. They're either remaking them or they're being world netted from an archive in Paris somewhere right. that someone had to take a car service and, you know, have the refrigerated vault opened up. Yeah, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow famously wore her red velvet but suit. It was a new one. A new one. It was a, it was a remade. They, they, yeah. It was That's no... bullshit. I'm sorry. It was remade, <laughs> but they said that it was remade. It was remade for that 
collection. You know, mm. it was a, a Tom Ford reissue. Yeah, but I feel like all the headlines were like, Gwyneth Paltrow rewears her iconic suit. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it grabs headlines. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good story. Real people rewear their clothes all the time. <laughs> Hopefully. But, you know, like my clients, we, we do often keep shoes. Like the, well, I was going to ask the about way, that. Yeah. The way Vogue closet works is the way mine does. Like, well, I have Can a you closet. explain how the Vogue closet works and how you... Yeah, so like designers will send me the lookbook in the beginning of the season and I place orders from them for shoes that I want to use in my sele- my client's sizes. And like if you watch their press tours, they'll wear the same shoes over and over and over again. Will you just do like a soup to nuts? Mm-hmm. And let's maybe take an example, the Met Gala. Yeah. How does that process start beginning to end? Mechella is, like, so hard. Yeah, Mechella um, is kind of harder than the others, isn't it? Well, because they go with a designer, and the designer has bought the ticket. So the right. designer gets to exercise their vision upon <laughs> my client. And so I grumpy. am, like, a tertiary. <laughs> I'm, like, a, a foot soldier in their side. And... Um, the way the way it works generally is like often a lot of my clients have have contracts, and if that's the case, it's very straightforward. I call the house, say, you know, what are you thinking? And some of them say, send us a mood board. So I'll say like I'll send vintage pictures. I usually send the pictures from their collections that I like. Maybe send pictures of other collections they've designed. I try. Is this a, like a PDF? Is it a Pinterest? It's a PDF. Okay pulled from my Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) And then we start the conversation from there and we get sketches and then we fit a toile, which is a dress made out of usually just cheaper alternative leftover fabric that you can draw on and cut and pin. And then the toile is taken back to the atelier and the real dress is made. Can you just tell us what a contract is? Yeah. So if if someone's the face of a brand, like... um, say, Sophie Turner for Louis Vuitton. Mm -hmm. She is the face of Louis Vuitton fine jewelry. She only wears Louis Vuitton fine jewelry because she's the face of it. I have a whole wall in my office that is literally printouts of clients' names with contract points that I need to remember. Every single contract is so different. Really? I have, I and I cannot keep them straight. It's on a whiteboard so I can turn it around when clients come in. Mm -hmm. But like before every fitting, before I pack a rack, I look at that board and I'm like, okay, they need to wear this to this and this to this and they can't wear this and they can wear this and like it's so So you're keeping track of all of that mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, yeah. So you do the mood board, you get the twelve mm-hmm. ready. Where are you do you have a fit model for each celebrity no. or is the celebrity doing <laughs> their it? bodies in my mind? Oh, for the actual fitting? Yeah. Oh no, they do it. But like they're doing four fittings for a dress? Yeah. Okay. Not four. Uh, if it's a custom dress, three. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a scheduling nightmare now. <laughs> yeah. The, the scheduling is complex. But, yeah, it's, you know, we do a few fittings. I The last fitting may be the morning of hair and makeup or, you know, the tailor has time to sit there and has a machine in the car if they need one. But, like, with people who work with designers often, the dresses don't need that much because, you know, couture houses them. keep bodies. Mm. Oh my god, that's crazy! No, but you've seen by pictures bodies, of this, you mean, right? Like, if you yeah. go to the Dior Couture Atelier, they have bodies on stacks, like mannequins with people's names on them. So that they just pull wild. out your body and make your dress on it. It's amazing! Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> well, what about your team? Like, what does your... Because, I mean, obviously, you're probably working solo to begin with, but you must have assistants now. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. How does, how does that all work? Like... Um, I have I have one first main assistant in New York who kind of runs everything. And then I have an assistant in L.A. And then on top of that, we we have a second in New York and then we have freelancers. So I do have a network of freelancers who will like we have someone we use regularly in London. We have a couple people in New York. A lot of my old assistants will come back if we need them just for a night or two because often they have, like, kind of significant relationships with some of the clients. Like, right. you've traveled together. You've been together. Like, does, one does of my old assistants— one of your assistants, like, travel with people during a press tour? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, like, one of my old assistants who hasn't worked with me in, God, like, eight years, she and one of my clients had babies at the same age. Oh, so, cute. like, you know, like, they're close. Yeah. You know, she—and a lot of my— my assistants often do the personal shopping. I don't do a lot of, like, personal shopping and day-to-day life looks. So people are being styled for, like, paparazzi airport looks type of thing. Oh, those? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, paparazzi, anytime you see a paparazzi thing like that, it's staged. Yeah. Interesting. Airport looks don't exist anymore because everybody flies private. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Since COVID. COVID changed that. I know it did. Right. Because right. there's insurance liabilities on them flying commercial. Oh, right. Because usually they're shooting other stuff. And if they shut down a production. It's much less expensive uh-huh. to fly private than shut down a production for uh-huh. 14 days. Yeah. But think about it. You never see airport looks anymore. It's true. Remember that used to be like the number yeah, one book.com traffic driver. Be, I'm, I'm really <laughs> no, salty styled, about that. That was always in my schedule. Like we need four airport looks. We need five press day looks. It's true. Five junket looks. Wait, but so you have all these shoes that people are sending you that you're <laughs> yes. keeping like the vote closet. <laughs> then what else is in like the emergency kit? Like are you ever – I have a whole YouTube video on this. <laughs> give us um, give us the highlights. Like, um, have you ever had to like sew someone into a dress mm-hmm. on the red carpet? No, I don't go to the red carpet. I, I meant, but, you know, an yes, exaggeration. I did. Oh, it was actually like a low point of my career. Go to zip somebody up who was already late and the alteration had been in, done incorrectly. I mean, <sighs> this is truly like 16 years ago because now I make people try the dress on before hair and makeup starts because I think it actually helps hair and makeup to have an idea of what they're working on better than a picture. And we know everything fits. So put the shoes on, put the dress on, close the necklace. Okay, it all works. Put it all away. Go do your thing in your bathrobe. So this dress, the the alteration was wrong and you... Oh, God, I cut a piece of the hem and sewed a wedge under her arm and was like, don't lift your arm. Sorry. Oh, oh gosh. my gosh. It was awful. Truly a low point. Are you a good seamstress? No. <laughs> no, if I'm sewing, it's a dark day. <laughs> Are there any secrets to getting on a best dress list? Do you care? Do clients care? Well, the best dress list now, it's so funny. There's so much media that, like, it's you can true. find yourself on a best dress list somewhere. <laughs> Like, I look at these dresses and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's horrible. She yeah. looks horrible. Yeah. And it's like number one on Vogue.com. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you can find it. It could be Vogue. It could be who, what, where. Somebody likes it. Yeah. You know, the yeah, person who wore it thought it was great. So somebody out there agrees with them. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming. This was so much fun. And good luck with your marathon award season. Yeah, it was so Thanks. fun to have you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. The Run Through Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. 
Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chomanadi. And I'm Chloe Mal. Bye. <laughs>